You're listening to End of the Line on WRIR 97.3 FM Richmond. End of the Line is an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. I'm Whitney Whiting. This is one piece in a much longer storyline and a much longer fight. The problem doesn't stop at the theft of private property. You know, the private property is itself part of the problem. It's part of the bigger settler colonial project that this pipeline project is, you know, is just one piece of. But it's still really important for this water and these woods and these people right here and, you know, these migratory songbirds that this resistance is continuing before this project gets built, before they drill through this mountain. Despite tense moments in federal courtrooms and a seemingly endless supply of intimidation from private security and the so-called justice system, resistance to the Mountain Valley and Atlantic Coast Pipeline keeps rolling, while both pipelines continue to rack up numerous violations in their effort to construct two 42-inch fracked gas pipelines as quickly as possible. On the Mountain Valley Pipeline, multiple tree sitters across Appalachia have set the tone for resistance, including Nutty on the Forest Service Road in Giles County. Though Nutty came down from her monopod after 57 days, the blockade of the Forest Service Road continues About two and a half miles up the road from Nettie's sit, a person named Fern continues the blockade with a tree sit of her own. I got the chance to hike up to Nettie's monopod and its support camp on day 41 to speak to the people who had been holding it down there for so long. I met Jamie Hale, resident of Giles County, who told me what the term mountain justice means to him. Um, I don't believe in instant forgiveness. Um, it, like I said, if you steal from me, then you have to take what consequences come afterwards. So that's mountain justice, yeah. But he also believes in what might be considered another type of mountain justice, that there are consequences for actions that are outside the bounds of natural law and that the mountain itself will fight back. Well, you experienced the rain we had yesterday. Yeah. That's not a rain in Giles County. Giles County gets heavy, heavy rains, uh, inch an hour sometimes. The mountain's going to fight back because all this sediment, all this land is shifting. It's constantly moving, expanding, contracting. Um, You cannot disturb one area and expect it not to come back to haunt you. These mountains are very fragile. This is a delicate ecosystem that nobody realized just because it's a great big mountain that it's strong. Well, I've lived here all my life and I've seen, I've seen road slides. Actually, the, the construction on Clendenin Holler now, that's, that's like the fifth time that that road has actually shifted off the side of the mountain. At the time of our interview, Jamie had spent nearly every day of the last 40 some odd days hiking a self-made trail up to the top of the Forest Service Road to be part of the support camp where Nutty was perched in her monopod. The steep and sometimes treacherous new trail that visitors take up the mountain 
was named for him. No, I don't think I don't think that the law enforcement ever expected to be up here for just a couple of days, and they figured they'd we'd give up and go home. You know, like moving to camp. They figured, you know, in the middle of a snowstorm, if we make them pick up their camp and move, and they're wet and cold, they'll walk off this mountain, won't come back. But they didn't know we know how to dry clothes too. <laughs> Not long after I arrived at the camp on day 41, Jamie appeared with a new friend in tow, a reporter for Rolling Stone magazine. A few folks at the camp were willing to talk to myself and to Rolling Stone, orienting us to the space and the presence of law enforcement 125 feet away. The, the gate that she's anchored to, you can follow with your eyes. You can see where the line goes down. It's right in front of where other trucks are parked. That's Aaron, who has also been spending a lot of time in these mountains in support of Nutty and the pipeline resistance. Aaron told us that the Forest Service had recently decided to use their generator to drown out the voices of Nutty's supporters trying to shout to her over the 125-foot closure, even going so far as to move the generator closer to her monopod so that she couldn't hear. With all this rain, I mean, you can hear the water behind her, and that's really loud, and so she was having a harder time hearing me than before all this rain came. So rain is a good thing, but also you need to project if she's going to hear you. But uh, she knows you're coming, you know, trying to have this conversation shouted across a 125-foot expanse under federal surveillance is clearly uh, a little awkward. But if you're ready for that, I think she's, you know, probably used to it by now. (laughs) Uh I followed Justin from Rolling Stone up to a small mound of hill just on the edge of the Forest Service's yellow Do Not Cross line. In front of us was a pole with the now familiar cardboard sign ticking off the days that Nutty had been on her perch. As Aaron had said, shouting across to Nutty is the only way to make sure she can hear you. Nutty! Nutty, how you doing? My name is Justin Noble. I am a magazine journalist. I write about issues of the environment and science, and I'm uh, here with Rolling Stone magazine. How you doing? Hey, I'm so good. Um, I'm wondering how, uh, I'm here with some of your supporters and a lot of people wondering about you. How, how is your body feeling? How, um, how are you doing right now? Do you have any, yeah, how are you doing? <laughs> I know some doctors visited you the other day and, and weren't actually allowed uh, to connect with you. Do you have any medical issues that, that you're concerned about right now? I don't have medical issues specifically. The Forest Service has been blocking any access to food and water for, I don't know, Justin continued his conversation with Nutty and with other supporters at the camp, prompting candid conversations about everything from industry practices to state repression and the popular subject of what to expect from politicians like Governor Ralph Northam. For those at Nutty's support camp, 
Expecting action from a governor who has taken money from both Dominion and EQT is not a recipe for successful resistance. People who maybe still had faith in the electoral process mm. were hopeful about Northam because mm -hmm. he has a background as a medical doctor and he right. spoke out against fracking, mm -hmm. but failed to consider all the money he was taking from Dominion uh, and now are all outraged and surprised that he hasn't stepped in to stop these projects. You know, but what do they expect? Politicians gonna politician, pipeline pig's gonna pipeline pig. Nutty's gonna nutty. And nutty's gonna nutty. Thank God for that. Thank the ancestors. So yeah, do you do you think that he maybe I put no faith in elected leaders. Well, right. right. <laughs> but, Zero. I but, think he'll sell out real tough. He's not up for re-election. Yeah, I guess this is He's right. got no reason is to actually... Is it a joyous, intentional sellout where he really is just saying, screw these people? Or on some level, does he, is he between a rock and a hard place and saying, I'd like to help those folks, but I don't know. I've got these business people who are my friends, too. And Well, I mean, are you friends of... Are you, is your duty to your friends when you're elected right. official or is your duty to your constituents as an elected official? If it's to your friends and donors, then, like, you know, clearly the man's a sellout. Well, and you brought up a, a, an additional point that he's, he's a physician. And I just, the last story I did for Rolling Stone was about the harms of fracking. The yeah. physicians came out with this almost, um, like, 270-page report. Of, uh, and the harms are There's massive. nothing redeemable about yeah. it. There's nothing redeemable about mm. it. It's totally... Tragic and dastardly. And so, I mean, I think that that is telling, you know, and I think that there's a lot of people who weren't that enthusiastic about him in the first place, but then we're like, okay, we'll get on this bandwagon because the alternative is openly Right. But dirty money and dirty politics is only going to get you dirty outcomes. And the, the information is out there. You know, he could look to his physician cohort right to, you know to see where their opinion is what do other see... folks in the field of pediatrics and their subspecialties think about fracking in kids right so i do think that there's a lot of people who have hope you know wisely or foolishly i don't know uh that because he's the governor he could intercede If you're just tuning in, you're catching End of the Line, an ongoing podcast about the pipeline struggles in Virginia and the Mid-Atlantic. Catch all episodes at pipelinepodcast.org. I'm Whitney Whiting. I recently visited the monopod camp where a person named Nutty had been living at the top of a 50-foot pole in an effort to stop construction of the Mountain Valley Pipeline. Nutty finally came down from her monopod after a record-breaking total of 57 days, but not before another tree sit went up to take her place, just two and a half miles up the road from her original sit. I felt as though my battle was kind of at a standstill in, in my neighborhood, so I was able to come in, and, and they accepted me and took me right in, and I, I feel as though I'm part of camp. They let me carry water and, and help with wood and yeah. Tell me about water here. Tell me about 
Where do where you all get your water? Uh, actually, the water comes off of Peters Mountain. Uh, through a stream, there's a waterfall over there, and, and we go over and get the water, and the, and the camp has filters. They filter the water, even though it's it's clean. I've checked it. It's got lizards in it. But it, it comes off this mountain, and, and you know, it it sustains life. So, and it's worth fighting for. Life's worth fighting for. Jamie Hale is a resident of Giles County, and for nearly two months has been a frequent resident of Slanty Camp, just 125 feet from Nutty's monopod blockade. But now this 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 ridge at where Slanty Camp is positioned on, they're calling this Nutty's Ridge. So it's off of Peters Mountain to Nutty's Ridge. Yeah. So that's pretty wild, pretty cool. Yeah. And she deserves the name. I mean, she's been here today's 42 days. She deserves something. Absolutely. <laughs> there are a lot of new names folks have used for the monopod area. There's Nutty's Ridge, as Jamie just mentioned, and Slanty Camp, which Galen explained the origins of in our last episode. So they also call the new camp Slanty Camp because it is on a very steep slant on the hill and there's nothing that is flat. And so everything rolls and all the tents are on a slant. But the area is also referred to now as the Hellbender Autonomous Zone. For the folks living there, it seems as if this name has come to represent everything from the tree sit at the top of Peter's Mountain to the monopod and the support camp itself. In fact, it's used much more often now than Peter's Mountain Stand so why the name change, and why Hellbender? I, I thought that the camp needed a name, and so we, we actually sat and talked about it, and like I said, I don't remember who it was, but somebody said, what about the, the threatened salamander, the hellbender? Well, I know what a hellbender is. A hellbender is a rather large and pretty endangered amphibian. About I guess they get to be about a foot long. I've never had the pleasure of meeting one in life myself. That's Noah. Among other things, Noah is a medic, and he's seen a fair share of abuse by corporations and the state throughout the North American continent. From the aftermath of disasters in the Gulf, like Hurricane Katrina and the BP oil spill, to the events at Standing Rock against the Dakota Access Pipeline. But I guess folks maybe started calling it Hellbender Autonomous Zone a little bit when... Uh, Evictions were taking place with the Zona Vata, Zona Ata Defensa. My French pronunciation is terrible. After they successfully won their fight against the airport, the police moved in. Noah's talking about the recent victory and then subsequent attempted eviction of an area in France called the Zad. That's Z-A-D if you want to Google it. At this self-proclaimed autonomous zone to defend people have fought to keep an international airport from being built for over 50 years. In a recognition of solidarity and shared struggle with the Zod, the area otherwise known as Peters Mountain and Jefferson National Forest is now referred to by Nutty and her supporters as Hellbender Autonomous Zone. Noah explained more of what this means to him. I think it's, you know, personally... Uh, creating autonomous zones and reclaiming these quote-unquote public lands is a part of that and renaming things 
those renamings coming from folks willing to defend those lands and if we are unable to find their original names of or the names that were used by the people who were originally here and you know i'm not inclined to call things by their colonized names if if i can help it this question of the names that we use for places has been on my mind a lot a few episodes back in my conversations with folks on bent mountain We talked about how nearly everyone, no matter where they are or how long they've lived there, has special names for places that they love, names that only they would know the meanings of. Well, there's Humpback Rock. Well, there's a name that I named something. Okay. The waterfall, you know, there by the bridge. And of course, the buckwheat field. Uh, Grace took you over there, which only... I think, did she tell you? I think it only ever did the farmer raise buckwheat in it, but one time. The beaver pond, there's no pond anymore that you would see. You didn't see it today. But if I said to my brothers, you know, down by the beaver pond, they would know what field I was talking about. But that's, that's, that's a place of incredible impact to me. Of course, Jenny and Grace were not the only ones who offered examples of having special names for places that they love. Nearly everyone I asked has examples of things like this in their life. But in my conversations with folks at Hellbender Autonomous Zone, I was reminded that there are other reasons and ways that people name things. And it's always been that way, naming something in order to claim it. It made me wonder how Peter's Mountain was named. So amidst some other lively conversation at the Monopod camp, I tried to find out if anyone knows. Jamie would maybe know. I'm not totally sure. Um, But is that that a question that people have been asking? It's a question that I've been asking, you know, and I think that that's, like, it is sweet that this is the hellbender autonomous zone because yeah this is the hellbend this is the headwaters of all of the water that down in the big river like you can find hellbender in but the reason that we have to create a name for this place here is because who the hell is peter you know i don't identify with peter's mountain but the the history and the oral tradition and the continuity of stewardship and ownership of the first people here has been broken and so like as a seller who's trying to defend this land in this place and not wanting to identify with Peter of Peter's Mountain, like, I don't know what else to call it. I do know that out here in Giles County, there is a Paris Mountain, P-E-A-R-I-S, and in Montgomery County, where this same pipeline is trying to cross the Roanoke River and go up and over Paris Mountain, P-A-R-I-S, those are named after the same guy. Um, and I don't know what either of the original, more appropriate names for those mountains are either. And the Paris Mountain in Montgomery County is the place in the world where I've spent the most of my life. And I don't know what its name is, you know? I don't know what that river is called other than just the way it feels over my feet and whatever. But that's not the same as actually being in relation, you know? I have my one lifetime or my family is three generations of being there. But, you know, Paris is 
some guy who was part of the story of the you know founding of that town back when there was like active land theft happening back when it was plantation days pre-plantation days like I don't want to identify with that name I want to own that history and know that but you know there's there's just so much undoing to be done so much relearning to be learned an interesting thing about the hellbender autonomous zone is that in just the two days I was there it was clear that not everyone here thinks in exactly the same ways about everything but it doesn't seem to be a problem The conversation about colonization and sovereignty of indigenous people are not divisive topics. They're continuous and free-flowing, and integrated into many of their reasons for collective resistance. I've thoroughly embraced the idea of the Hellbender Autonomous Zone as a place to uh, wage this struggle from. It's not only a choke point because of the amount of work and effort it's going to take them to bring the pipeline through here, but it's space where any number of folks with differing tactics or ideologies can come and fight and not have to worry about the courts coming after landowners they may be trying to ally with um, or you know, having folks who can give or take permission from us being here who can be pressured by MVP or the courts. The problems around private property and you know, that individual individualization of these fights you know around this one person's property because they didn't sell out and they're willing to fight or this other you know individual's property although I fully support those folks you know there there's much more uh, ease of manipulating those property owners by the company and by the state as we saw with the pressure that was used against Red and the pressure that's being used against the Riley family and the pressure that has been used by MVP and suing 300 landowners at a go. And here, you know, if they try and close more and more of this national forest, if they try and close more and more stretches of the AT, you know, good luck. These are some of the choke points where we may be able to make real stands similar to The proximity to the Standing Rock Reservation allowed so much effective action to happen in North Dakota, just like in some of the fights in the Pacific Northwest, you know, the Trans Mountain Pipeline can't go through because it's not any individual indigenous person who owns parcels that they can buy off. They have to deal with the collective, and if they don't deal with the collective, then they're not going to get their way. In the past two years that I've been trying to disturb the the pipeline I've, I've not met anybody that was willing to protest or stand up or take a stand and and when I come up here it kind of overwhelmed me because here's people that I should have been with all along two years ago and, and I didn't know they even existed huh. so it it, it it gave me a little bit of hope it gave me a lot of hope You know, that's one of the things that's so amazing about this blockade going on for so long is that folks are getting to know each other and they might not be starting in the same place, but if they're sitting around the smoky fire, you know, those kind of difficult things can be unpacked a little bit and, you know, hopefully folks will actually move a little bit, like move towards a greater willingness to take action than wherever they were starting from and also move in like a deepening understanding of how much there is to grapple with, like how much, you know, this is a fight against MVP and the like corrupt kind of corporate and state that's allowing this project to go through, but that that is a symptom of 
you know, this much bigger system that is like just slurping up fossil fuel as much as it possibly can and, you know, continuing this theft of land and resources on stolen land on Turtle Island all over the world and like trying to disconnect people from their land base and trying to surveil and patrol and intimidate folks so that people won't stand side by side and have those conversations. Like I think the thing that these guys fear the most is that people figure out how to work across their differences and like see the bigger picture, understand that water is life and that you know, the justice of Native people is is fundamental to all of the struggles for justice overall, you know. We'll see. Uh, we'll see. How long do you plan to be here, Nutty? This is Justin again. Remember when they said you were coming down on day one? Yeah, they were really confused. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they seem really confused about a lot of things. Like how to protect a forest. Wasn't exactly ever their job. <laughs> True. Is, the, is there a message that you'd have for people maybe who aren't from this area, uh, but maybe they do love nature, that they're worried about oil and gas infrastructure, they, they know what you're doing, and, and just kind of thinking like, wow, what can I do to help? What would you say to those people out across the country? Find people who are thinking like they do. Find ways to get involved and to take action. Now, the audio here is a little bit hard to hear, so I'll repeat Nutty's words. She says, Find people who are thinking like you do. Find ways to get involved and to take action because it's a really terrible way to live when you live the way the pipeline companies want us to, the way the police forces want us to, the state government. They want us to be weak and powerless and not feel like we have any reason or ability to confront these things in meaningful ways. And it's not true. And things can seem really insurmountable. It's not just fighting the pipelines, but fighting an entire structure that is being held up by the police, the prisons, over 500 years of settler colonialism. But the only way to learn how to fight it effectively is by doing it, and not by watching it happen or by waiting for decisions in any of the so-called centers of power. Though Nutty came down from her perch at the top of the monopod just two weeks after our visit, Pipeline Resistance launched yet another treetop blockade about two and a half miles up the Forest Service Road, so it seems that the Hellbender Autonomous Zone is here to stay a little longer. More to come in the next episode of End of the Line. End of the Line is produced by Whitney Whiting, with thanks to all those Pipeline fighters and folks across the region who continue to listen, ask questions, and to be in conversation. Catch all episodes at pipelinepodcast.org or soundcloud.com slash pipelinepodcast.